Welcome, welcome once again. Shalom, everyone. I hope you're all having an awesome, awesome evening. Now, today we are going to be getting into the tabernacle, the tabernacle of Moses, reading from the book of Exodus when when God instructs Moses how to build the tabernacle. So let's start out with Exodus chapter 24, verse 1. Now he said to Moses, and this is God now, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Interesting how it says worship from afar here. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. Okay, so we we actually, we read some of this, we went through this uh, yesterday, but let's go through it one more time. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Let me just stop here for a second. Now, here's a good question. How did they know? First of all, how did Moses know how to build an altar? Okay. How did he know how to build an altar? How did he know where to build an altar? Secondly, and I say this, I'm going to ask these questions together as a group because the answer is the same. How did they know about burnt offerings and and peace offerings. How did they know anything about peace offerings and burnt offerings before the quote-unquote Torah of Moses or the law of Moses came through Moses? Okay, Moses didn't write about this yet. We didn't, Moses didn't receive, apparently, Moses didn't receive any of the commandments or specifics from the Lord about burnt, burnt offerings or peace offerings yet. So how did he know? How did he know? And the answer to, the, to all of those questions, it's the same as how did Abraham know? How did Noah know? How did Cain and Abel know? How did Job know? And all the other patriarchs that came before Moses, how did they know? Again, it's the Torah, the law of God is eternal. It's forever settled in heaven. It's like it is as I explained before, it's like there is, if you can just picture, like up in the heavens, there is like a cloud, so to speak, a cloud, like the heavenly cloud, as we have today, the internet cloud, right? Uh, where you can store things in the cloud. Well, in the heavenly cloud, we have we have uh, God that deposited that uploaded his Torah to the heavenly cloud, as it were. And so people like Adam and Eve, uh, Cain and Abel, Enoch, Job. Now remember, Job existed around the time of Abraham, or even some, some believe that even before the time of Abraham. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, like long, long before Moses was ever born. So each one of these people each one of these patriarchs, they all knew the Torah well enough to know how to worship God, how to serve God, what sin is, how to sacrifice, how to build an altar, what to put, what, what to sacrifice, all the specifics 
How did they know? Well, they they logged in to the heavenly cloud. They downloaded, as it were, from the heavenly cloud. Okay, and so that Torah that is stored in the quote unquote heavenly cloud, that Torah is there forever. Always has been there. Always will be there. Always will be in effect. And so Moses here, apparently he downloaded from the heavenly cloud, or at least he could have heard these things from his forefathers. How to build an altar, what to offer on the altar, how to do it specifically. You have to know all the specifics. You can't just do it and wonder like, you know, he he knew what he was doing. Okay. He knew what he was doing, even to the point of, of labeling it as burnt offerings or or peace offerings and, and all that kind of stuff. He knew what he was doing. So let's continue. Verse 6, And Moses took half of the blood and put it in, in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said we will do. And be and and be obedient again. And this is the second time again. I know we we spoke of this before, but just to reiterate this, uh, the people that millions of people, millions of people were here, and they said over and over again, "We will do it all. We can do it." Why would they say that? Why why would they say that if it's impossible to do? Because it's not impossible to do. And they knew it wasn't impossible to do. They understood what the Torah was. And, and they understood that God would not be a tyrant and bark out commands that they cannot obey. They understood that God's law was an extension or an expression of his grace and his mercy. And it's easy. As John said in 1 John, his law or his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. Moving on with Exodus chapter 24, verse 8. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. as it, uh, And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. So, what is this talking about? Again, this is a heavenly, this is a vision, okay? This is something that appeared. It's a spiritual thing. It wasn't, a, it's not an earthly thing. It's a spiritual thing. Verse 11. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So, so they saw God and they ate and drank. Then said to Moses, come up to me on the mount and, and be there. And I will give you tablets of stone and a law and commandments, which I have written, that you may teach them. So Moses arose, assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. Now, notice, Moses did not take Aaron. Moses did not take Aaron. Isn't that very interesting? It was just Moses and Joshua at this time. Why did this happen? We don't have any specific details here in the book of Exodus. But I think it's it's kind of, uh, there. we have some clues here that Moses got a heavenly vision 
as a prophet, Moses knew what would happen in the future, and he knew that that Joshua would would be the one to to uh, to succeed him and to lead the people into the uh, into the promised land, and that is why he took only Joshua with him. And he said to the elders, "Wait here for us until we come back. Indeed, Aaron and her are." with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. Wow, wouldn't you like to be with Moses, just like Joshua was? Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he, that would be God, called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Again, think about this. I know I mentioned this before, but it took a whole week before God answered, before God did anything. They had to wait. And can you imagine waiting minute after minute, hour after hour, you know, morning, evening, sleeping, morning. I mean, you're waiting all these times, day after day after day. And it took six days. And on the seventh day, God actually spoke. And um, and that's what they were there for. So they had to wait six days. Verse 17, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. I have heard stories. Let me just let me just say this. Stop there for a second. Stories. I, I can't tell you how many stories of churches back in the day. Back in the day when churches were in quote-unquote revival, sometimes, sometimes they would, there would be the glory of the Lord that would, that would appear on these like different churches. Again, this is not a common occurrence, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, it's, not a, it's not a common occurrence, but I've heard that it did happen. I'm not sure how many times it happened. It seems like it was multiple times it happened. When the glory of the Lord appeared on a church, like this, like fire, to the point when the to the point that the neighbors actually called the fire truck, called the fire, and called the fire truck to come in and put the fire out. But it wasn't; it was a spiritual fire, and they didn't know it. It appeared like fire. The glory of the Lord appeared like fire. I said all that to say this: this is real, folks. This is absolutely real. You can exp- like, I don't know. If anybody's going to experience this, but it's possible. People have experienced this kind of thing throughout history, time. You know, there's been times when it did happen. Verse 18. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Hmm. I wonder if Joshua stood, stayed with him that entire time. Exodus chapter 25, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Now, again, in the footnotes, it says specifically heave offering, heave offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. Now, that kind of implies that those who do not give willingly just don't take it. If it's if it's begrudgingly, don't, don't. Verse three, and this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, 
blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Fine linen and goat's hair. Ram skins dyed red. Badger skins and acacia wood. Oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the, that, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Okay, let's stop here for a second. So all of the, uh, all of the resources, all of the materials that, that Moses got for building the tabernacle came from the people, came from the people. Moses, it wasn't Moses' own gold. It was, it was everybody else that pitched in. So the entire tabernacle was built out of material that was donated to Moses by the people. And they got that, they, they got those materials from the Egyptians. Remember earlier when, uh, earlier on in the book of Exodus, just before the, just before the Exodus, God says, borrow or ask from the Egyptians, you know, now, because, you know, you're going to be driven out in haste. So get all these um, materials. Ask from them the gold and the silver. And all these other things, uh, the spices and all that kind of thing, they got from the Egyptians. They got that from the Egyptians. Now, another thing I want to point out too, and this is very, very important. I know we talk about this from time to time, uh, and this is the verse that that is the subject here, Exodus ch uh, chapter twenty-five, verse nine. And it, it, again, we just read this, but according to all that I show you, this is God speaking to Moses. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So what does that mean? There, obviously there was a spiritual vision going on. They saw the glory of the Lord. They saw the spiritual sapphire stone, so to speak. It appeared like a sapphire stone. They saw this very, very mystic um, vision, and it was a mystic experience. But God said here that he showed Moses a pattern of the tabernacle. What does that mean? God allowed Moses to look into heaven, so to speak, and to see the tabernacle that's already in heaven. And so Moses just made a clone, as it were, a replica, a replica of the heavenly tabernacle. Okay, so some people say, for example, like, well, the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant is in heaven because it says it's in heaven. Well, in one, you know, one of the places there in the scriptures, it does say it's in heaven. But that's not the Ark that Moses built. Moses built another Ark in the pattern of that Ark. The Ark that, it's, that it speaks about uh, in, uh, I believe it's in the book of Revelation here. Let's go on over here. That ark is, let's just go there. Yeah, so this is Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. It says, then God's temple in heaven was opened. 
and within its, his temple uh, was seen the, the Ark of His Covenant. Okay, So that Ark of the Covenant is not the Ark of the Covenant that Moses built. That Ark of the Covenant is the Ark that Moses saw. That's the pattern. That's the, he used that, that, that's the master Ark of the Covenant, if you want to put it that way. That's the master Ark. That's the original Ark, whereas Moses' one was like a replica of that. That ark in Revelation 3, uh, 11, 19, that ark was the quote-unquote pattern. Okay. All right, so let's go on reading Exodus chapter 25, verse 10. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length. Uh, a cubit is about 18 inches, right? So two and a half Two and a half cubits would, uh, shall be its length, uh, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. I've said this several times, and just because we're on this topic, I'll say it again. I I re- I believe that the Ark of the Covenant that Moses built, the replica of the one that's in heaven, the Ark of the Covenant that Moses built, the Ark that was with Moses all the way up to the time of Solomon, I believe that ark is still on earth. And I do not believe it's lost. I just, this is the most, this is the most valuable and the most precious and the most holy article in all of the Tanakh. Okay. It's, it's the most powerful, you know, we got Uzzah that, Uzzah that just touched it and he died. Okay. So, and the Ark of God was so powerful that it, when it went into the Philistines' uh, land, it caused tumors and, 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 and plagues and curses to come upon them. But when it went into the, to the household of Obed-Edom, it caused great blessing to come up. Like, it's, it's the earthly throne of God. The earthly throne of God, ladies and gentlemen, cannot get lost. It cannot just get lost, okay? It's not like, oh, oh, wow, I forgot the Ark of the Covenant back in this cave, and I lost it. Oh, well, God's not going to let that happen, okay? That's not, that's not, <laughs> it's not going to let that happen. Um, I have, um, this must have been like 12 years ago now or more, 15 years ago. I, I have done a lot of research on the different claims of where the Ark of the Covenant is, okay? You know, you got the claim of uh, a lot of the Christian world, unfortunately, buys into Wyatt's claim, um, which doesn't hold water, by the way. You got other claims such as that it's in you know that it's in the it's in England, and some people think that it's you know many many different claims of where the the Ark of the Covenant is, but by far the most convincing is the account of the Ethiopian Orthodox Tawahedo Church. That's by far the most convincing of all accounts for for several reasons. Number one, because they have the history and they traced it all the way back. They can give you names. They can give you places. They can give you... They, it, they have very specific details of how the ark got to Ethiopia. They claim it's in, was it the St. Mary's Chapel in 
Aksum, Ethiopia right now, which I believe if the Ark is still around, I think it's more than likely, more than likely, beyond a reasonable doubt, that's where it is because of the because of many things. Number one, the account, the detailed account. You know, if you're in a court of law and you're going through a trial, one of the things is is when someone brings forward detailed evidence, especially with names and dates and all this, all these kind of things, that is much more believable than someone who doesn't. The Ethiopians have it. They have the, then they have the, you know, they have the ancient documents that trace it all the way back. Uh, they have archaeological evidence. For example, they say like, you know, the, the Ark stayed, let's say, for example, at, on Lake Tana, and in an island in Lake Tana. You know, during these number of years and, you know, these centuries, like, you know, what was it now? Like 1,200 years ago. And you go there and you can see drilled into the rock. You can see the holes with the posts of the uh, Holy of Holies. It's, it's in the same dimension of the Holy of Holies. And they said, this is where the ark was, you know, 1,200 years ago. And it went from here to a different place and from there to a different place. And again, it, it, there's archaeological evidence. There's documentation. They have names. They're very forthwith with, with their evidence. They have the other, uh, the other articles of the tabernacle, uh, of the temple, I should say, such as they have the silver trumpets. They, they brought those out to show people. It's, you can you can see videos of it. Um, they have the breastplate, at least the frame of the breastplate of the of the high priest, which, if it is what they claim it to be, Aaron would have wore that. Okay. They have the basin. We 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 read about the basin where they caught the blood in, and they show all this. They they bring it out and they show it all. They don't show the Ark of the Covenant, though, because they say it's, it's just it, it's it's too holy, and it's not it's not like you know it's not like a window you don't go window shopping here. It's not it's not to be put on display. It's not it's not for show. And you think about it too, when it was in the tabernacle and when when it was in the temple as well, it wasn't on show either. In those days, it wasn't it wasn't put on display for everybody to see. It was hidden behind many different layers. I mean, first of all, you had to go into the first layer, which was the courtyard, right? And then you went into the holy the holy place. And then then the holy of holies. So it was it was hidden way deep inside. And you know, even even back in the days of the of Moses, in the times of Solomon, for example, it wasn't like a public thing that people could just, you know, just go in and see. It wasn't like the priest could just go in and just take the ark and say, hey, this is the, this is, this is, uh, you know, the showing of the ark day. No, I mean, you know, they, it, it did not degrade the ark into some kind of a, some kind of a piece of merchandise that you, that you show off. Another th another uh, point uh, of evidence that the Ethiopians have the Ark of the Covenant is that not only do they have all of the history and the archaeological evidence and the documentation and the names, like for example, they'll tell you Menelik is the one who brought it. Menelik, which was uh, the son of Mekeda, which was the Queen of Sheba. Uh, they tell you all this stuff. But not only that, but 
ever since Menelik brought it to uh, Ethiopia, they say there there was assigned to the Ark of the Covenant what they call the Atang, A-T-A-N-G, which means uh, keeper of the Ark. It's it's in in their native language. It's a keeper of the Ark, the Atang, and you have they have history of like thousands thousands of years of Ethiopian men who they claim is from the from the tribe of Levi that dedicate their lives to watching and keeping the ark. Like they don't go out shopping. They don't go home. They don't go to their family. No, they stay right in the same place. They stay right with the ark of the covenant all their life. They give their life. They, they, they literally give their lives to watch the ark. And you've got how many hundreds over the thousands, past thousands of years? You have all these men that have given their lives to watch this ark, to keep it, the Atongs. If it wasn't the real deal, why would they do that? Not only that, but the um, in Ethiopia, every church, Every one of the Ethiopian Orthodox Tewahedo churches have a replica of the Ark in their, in their church because it's such a piece, uh, it's, it's so part of their culture and it has been for thousands of years. So I think it makes sense. The Ark, n- nobody would lose the Ark. Solomon didn't lose the Ark. No king or prophet lost it. No Levite lost it. It was always in good hands. Always in good hands. Thank you for the rose there on TikTok. I appreciate it. Thank you for the likes as well. I appreciate it. Thank you. Nano says, Tabernacle. Yes, amen. Vinny says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Vinny. Welcome. Welcome. One John two twenty six says he had the book of the covenant before you relieved the tablets. What is this book? Now we we read about it earlier on in the in Exodus, the book of the covenant. Uh, let's just go to the first appearance of that. Okay. Just want to make sure I get the first appearance here before we get uh, the Book of the Covenant. Yeah, okay, so... As far as I can see here, that particular phrase is 
that is the one and only place that it's mentioned. Uh, when it says book of the covenant, that's in Exodus chapter 24, verse 7. And, and it doesn't give any specific, it doesn't give any details as to what that is, not even in the um not even in the cross references. So let's go on over. Let's just go on over to Safaria since we don't have any other. Uh, we'll go to Safaria and see what the, um, they say over there. Exodus chapter 24, verse 7. Okay, so this is Exodus chapter 24, verse 7, and I'm going to read from the right-hand column. For those of you who are on YouTube right now, hey, if you're on TikTok, uh, if you want to see what I'm reading, go over to YouTube, look me up over there, Christopher Enoch. I am going, I'm live on, on YouTube right now, so just go over to YouTube, uh, look for Christopher Enoch, and you'll, you'll, uh, you'll find me there. So um, Rashi over here on the right says, the book of the covenant, the book which we have said contained the part of the Torah, uh, from from Bereshit, from Genesis, until the giving of the Torah. Okay, so um, wow. Okay, including the commandments that were given to them at Mara. All right, so according to Rashi, this book of the covenant is actually everything up until this point. Let's let's have a peek at uh, Ibn Ezra. Um, let me see here. Does he really? Uh, doesn't doesn't say a whole lot. Okay. So Forno, the book in which God's words had been recorded as well as the laws concerning the covenant was concluded. Reference, reference has been made to this book in verse 4 of our chapter. In verse 4. Uh, let's go on over to, let's, let's just open up a new tab here. Exodus. 24 verse 4 and Moses wrote all the words of the Lord okay uh, so according to that that specific scholar is says that um, it includes what he wrote here in verse 4 and he rose early in the morning and built an altar okay so Moses wrote all the words of the Lord so it's like yeah um, let's see what else we got here Um, she's Kuni. He's Kuni. Uh, he took he took hold of the book of the covenant. It is well known that the Torah was not written in chronological sequential order. This is a good. This is a good point too. And this is the thing that we were saying. I said several times before as well. The, one thing when you're reading this the the Bible, you need to understand. Not always is it written in chronological order. That's the thing, you know. Um, 
That's very, very important to understand. And I'm not talking about just the order of books. I'm talking about the actual order of events in a book or even in the order of events within one chapter. It's not necessarily chronological. It is well known that the Torah was not written in chronological sequential order. The Mekilta of Rabbi Yishmael on the 19th chapter of the book of Exodus has proven this beyond any question. Among other proofs, the author has cited is Leviticus 25.2, where the Torah wrote uh, that the soil of the land of Israel is to observe a year of lying fallow immediately after the Israelites entering, entering, entering that land. And the Torah proceeds to list the laws pertaining to the Shemitah cycles, followed by the Jubilee cycles, concluding with 2646, these are the statutes and social laws that God has given as applying to the Jewish people, all of which he has revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai. The Jewish people heard and accepted all the laws, including the blessings and curses, applying to those who observed them and those who would disobey them, after which Moses took the remainder of the blood and sprinkled it upon them as the seal of the covenant. He he told the people to listen to detailed instructions of these laws, starting on the, the day following. In other words, the Jews had already bound themselves to be obedient to the Torah's laws, even though they had not yet been written down. There is considerable discussion about Let's say here whether what was already written in in there at at the time Moses read from it was subsequently written in the Torah out of context or not. According according to our author's interpretation of the Ilta, when the Israelites said their famous, I'm not going to read the Hebrew. They're generally understood as as they're giving God a blank check, this was not so. They simply expressed the wish to learn the details of what Moses had already read out to them. Okay, it doesn't give a whole lot of detail there. Um, that doesn't... So according to Haktav Veha Kabbalah, uh, it says the Book of the Covenant, Bereshit, Bereshis, is called the Book of the Covenant because it contains all the covenants made with Noah and the patriarchs. Alternatively, the word bris is a variant of the word bria, creation, in, in which case Bereshis is actually called the book of creation. Okay, so I think we got a pretty good idea of what the book of the covenant was. Uh, and I think Rashi actually made it very clear in that it's just basically everything, everything up until that point, all of the words of God up until that point. So we have uh, 
Zomatov on TikTok says, I am Eritrea, Eritrea, Eritrea Orthodox. I have been to Aksum. I am just amazed how you know more about my religion. God bless you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, I've done, like years ago, I've done study, a lot of very in-depth study. And this is why I say it's, it's very, very important for Christians, all believers, to get some good critical thinking skills. A lot of Christians, a lot of believers, they do not know how to think. They believe very poor evidence. And they don't know how to read, really. I mean, they can read and, you know, read and comprehend, but they don't really know how to pull out the truth out of the scriptures. You know, again, knowing what is written, knowing what it says, knowing the cultural context, knowing what it doesn't say, and not reading too much into it. You know what I mean? Have a very good critical thinking mind. It's very, very important. What I mean by critical thinking is to know, to, to have the skill of being able to find good evidence and to know what the truth is in, you know, in the literature. Over on YouTube, Seek the Lord says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Seek the Lord. Good to see you. Welcome. Jeff says, agree on a lot of things. Yeah, the second first, Ron Wyatt. Yes, unfortunately, like you know, I think that I met one of my one of my most viewed, one of the highest, most popular videos I have on my YouTube channel is is a video I have about about Ron Wyatt. And um, I think that I think that Ron Wyatt is is a well meaning man. I just don't. I think. I just, <laughs> I hate to say it, but I have to say it because of the fact of, I think that there was a lot of damage done by the false claims that he makes because there is no good evidence. There is no, talk about no, knowing how to think critically. There's absolutely no good evidence brought by Ron Wyatt. Nothing. Nothing. He's like, well, I found Noah's Ark. I found Noah's Ark. And you look at what he found. It's like, First of all, that doesn't even measure, that does, it's not even the same size or shape as what we read about in the Bible. He says, I found the Ark of the Covenant, but I don't have any pictures. Well, where is it? Well, I lost it. Well, who was with you? Like, you got lots of witnesses? Like, I mean, give me some good evidence. Well, nobody was with me. Um, oh, but, but I, but I, you know, all, the, all these claims that he makes, right? It's like, but I got the, I got blood off the ark, and, I, and the ark is situated right below where the where Jesus was crucified. And 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 when Jesus was crucified, the the blood of Jesus fell upon the ark, and 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 that's how we got our atonement because he was, you know, he is our sacrificial lamb, and and you see, he fulfilled everything. And the blood of the blood of Jesus dripped on the ark, and voila, we're we're saved. Um. And then he says he scraped the blood off the ark. Then he says he scraped Jesus' blood off the ark, took it to a lab, got an, anal got an analysis done on the, on the blood, and then it only has Y chromosomes and, let me think now. No, only X, no, how does he say it now? Doesn't have a father. Um, 
not an earthly father. Anyway, he goes he goes into saying that uh, he took it to a lab and he had it anal- you know had an analysis done on the on the blood and the people in the lab were shocked and he's got a he's got a wild story about it. Like the people in the lab were like, "Where'd you get this blood? This is the blood we never seen anything like this before." And he goes and he's crying and he's literally why is crying? <laughs> he's a well-meaning guy, but. I am quite convinced that he unfortunately is delusional. I've no I know other I know other people that are just like that. If you know people that are schizophrenic or they're very delusional, they can get very very emotional about things that they think that happened. Think they can get very emotional, uh, emotional, and very they're very convinced that certain things have happened, but they, it didn't happen. It's not true at all. And, again, Ron, where? Okay, so you took it to a lab. Where is documentation? I mean, you have to have documents. Why well, don't have any? I mean, receipt. Um, hello, like, no, I have nothing. Uh, I mean, the report from the lab. No, name of the lab. No, nothing, nothing. It's like, for those of you who know, I don't know how many people, I hope you, you know, but for those of you who know what it's like, what schizophrenic and delusional people are like, that's a perfect picture of one. I mean, I say that with all due respect to Ron Wyatt and and everybody, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. But I just, I just believe that he is not telling the truth. I don't think that he's intentionally lying. I don't think that. I think that he's just, he just doesn't have good evidence. There's no good evidence at all. Nothing. Nothing. No good evidence. Compare that with the Ethiopian account. They can take you right to the spot. It's here. And it was brought here by this guy who took it from Lake Tana, who took it from Deborah Damo and took it, take, and it went down the the the, uh, the Nile from 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 Jerusalem, skipped over to the Nile, went down this way, and Menelik brought it, and then this other guy after it spent so many hundred years in this this location, and after that another guy brought it over here, and they can they they got the whole they got all the details, they got all the details, and hundreds of people who have given given their lives over the years for this thing. For, for the Ark of the Covenant. And every church in Ethiopia that has a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. And all the other pieces of evidence, that I, like, like, all the other, like, like several other of the art, artifacts from the temple as well, they have it. At least, you know, they bring it out, they show it, and it looks very, very antiquated, for sure. But yeah, uh, un- unfortunately, people they they believe some people believe Wyatt. Let me just say this: an extra thing. Wyatt claims that Jesus' blood dripped uh, somehow see- seeped through the dirt and the grime and the rocks in- on Calvary, and and went and dr- and dripped down into a secret cav- cavern cave where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And lost to anybody who would even consider believing that, I would say, 
I'm sorry, but that's not in accordance with the Torah. If you think that the blood of Jesus had to be physically put on the Ark of the Covenant to get to get you saved, if that's what you believe, according to the Torah, and we're going to read it, according to the Torah, it's got to be it's got to be put on to the Ark by a specific person in a very specific way, in very specific times. And with a specific instrument, not blood that somehow seeped through the dirt in the rocks. That would not be acceptable, according to the Torah. Blood that has been defiled by the ground, dripping off of rocks, that would not be acceptable. One John two twenty six. What about the legend that Jeremiah took the ark into a secret cave in mountains? Two Maccabees two four to seven. See, like, yeah, I, I we spoke about this before. Let's go over there again. We, I spoke about this before. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm aware of that as well. Second um, Maccabees two verses four to seven. Okay, so uh, this is Second Maccabees 2. Let me just zoom in for those of you who are on YouTube. You can see this a little bit clearer. Second Maccabees chapter 2. We know from the records that Jeremiah the prophet instructed the people who were being taken into exile to hide some of the fire from the altar, as we have just mentioned. We also know that he taught them God's law and warned them not to be deceived by the ornamented gold and silver idols which they would see in the land of their exile. And he urged them never to abandon the law. These same records also tell us that Jeremiah, under acting under divine guidance, commanded the tent of the Lord's presence and the covenant box to follow him to the mountain where Moses had looked down on the land which God had promised the people, uh, promised our people. When Jeremiah got to the mountain, he found a huge cave. There hid, there he hid the tent of the Lord's presence, the covenant box, and the altar of incense. Then he sealed up the entrance. Some of Jeremiah's friends tried to follow him, mark the way, but they could not find the cave. Uh, when Jeremiah learned. What they had done, uh, he reprimanded them, saying, No one must know about this place until God gathers his people again, together again, and shows them mercy. Uh, at that time, he will, he will reveal where these things are hidden, and the dazzling light of his presence will be seen in a cloud, as it was in the time of Moses on the occasion when Solomon prayed that the temple might be dedicated in uh, in holy splendor. Yeah, so I mean, it, it depends on the, uh, I know different, um, different translations of the, also read it different ways as well. Um, 
So, I mean, if this is the case, so Solomon didn't have, if this is the case, I mean, it's still Ron Wyatt's story is not, is not true. Uh, and I mean, Solomon would, would Solomon even have the Ark of the Covenant in, in the Ark, in the, um, in the temple? Uh, let me just have a check here. Just give me a second. Yeah, I Okay, slightly different uh, translation here. This is 2 Maccabees chapter 2 verse 4. It was also in the same document that the prophet having received an oracle ordered that the tent and the ark should follow with him and that he went out to the to the mountain where Moses had gone up and had seen the inheritance of God Jeremiah came and found a cave a cave dwelling and he brought there the the tent and the ark and the altar of incense and, and then he sealed up the entrance some of those who followed him came up intending to mark the way but could not find it when Jeremiah learned of it, he rebuked them and declared, The place shall remain until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. Then the Lord will disclose these things, and the glory of the Lord in the cloud will appear, as they were shown in the case of Moses, as Solomon asked the play, uh, that the place should be specially consecrated. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. All I can say about that is I, you know, I am. That's, I know that seems to contradict the Ethiopians account of it. It also contradicts Wyatt's account of it. And I mean, anybody who claims to have found the ark even knows where it is. If this is if this is true, uh, it would be lying. Anybody that would that would claim that they know where it is would be lying. Uh, if this is true, because you got it says here that when the Lord discloses those things, the glory of the Lord and the cloud will appear. I don't think the glory of the Lord and, and the cloud appeared. You know, uh, since the days of Moses, in that way, oh, I guess in the day of Solomon, it did in the in the in the uh, temple. Yeah, so not sure what else to say about that one. John two twenty six. I mean, you know, some people believe Second uh, Maccabees to be uh, everything to be uh, scripture. And 100% accurate. 
Uh, I would, I'd be looking at it. I'd be testing it a little bit more before I believed it. Uh, but again, that just goes to show uh, that would that would show that Wyatt and uh, the Ethiopians are both wrong. Uh, so, all things considered, uh, again, I I have all things considered between Wyatt and all the other people that say that they claim to have it in all different parts of the world. Uh, and this here, I, I mean, the Ethiopians still have a really good case to make, a really, really good case to make. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else to say about that one, John 2.26, other than just looking into it more, studying it more, and testing it. Very good question. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Vinny says Aaron's staff would be due uh, for some pruning. Yes. Clutch said could not agree more how uh, reading comprehension, low reading comprehension, poor culture understanding, poor understanding of writing style, etc. Yes. Caballero says, I've read articles that say the book of Job is the oldest written. Um, well, that would be in the, of, of all the books in the conventional Bible canon, yes, that would be true. That's not counting the book of Enoch. If the book of Enoch is authentic, which I believe a good part of it is, then the book of Enoch would be the oldest book. Clutch. So I am wrong for not, or am I wrong for not liking when people say I'm, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus? I find it creepy. Usually people who use that phrase, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus, is trying to justify their lawlessness and the fact that they don't, they don't obey God, they don't go by the, the laws of God, the instructions of God. And if that's the case, it's really just abuse of, of the blood of Jesus. It's like uh, Hebrews chapter 10 makes it very clear. You know, you can't trample the blood underfoot like that. You, you can't do that. Uh, and yeah, it depends on what they mean by covered in the blood. If I was debating with somebody and they talked about being covered in the blood, I would be, be very specific. I'd say, what do you mean by that? Like if you mean that somehow it's like a rug that you can sweep your sweep your um, sins under, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. If you mean that the blood of Jesus speaks of the death of your sin, then I would say amen to that. I would say amen to that all the way. That's that's good. That's awesome. I'm 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 all for that. Uh, but yeah, it depends on what the word covered means. <laughs> how does the blood of Jesus cover you? Is it that the blood of Jesus actually cleanses you from your sin because his blood speaks of the death of your old self and your sinful self? And because of that, you are empowered to repent. You have that repentance and therefore you have that forgiveness. Or does it mean Jesus' blood is basically just the blinders, God's blinders, that God puts blinders on and he doesn't see your sin? If that's the case, that's that's completely... Uh, false for sure.
The second first, didn't he claim the angels protecting the ark made him put all the evidence in the cave till the time it was to be revealed? Uh, either that or, you know, the Israeli authorities took all the evidence away and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, perfect way to explain it away. Yeah. And again, like, even if there was some, even if that part of it's true, even if it's, even if it is true, there'd still be some track record. There'd still be, you can still trace it down. Like, again, the, uh, for example, the lab, what's the name of the lab? Where's your receipt? Where are your witnesses? Nobody in the lab, whatever, wherever this lab was, nobody in the lab stepped forward to be a witness at all. You'd think that there'd be people that would be with, you'd think that Ron would have some of these lab people with him saying, you know, I, I, I testify what he says is true. You know, I've never seen, you know, you get that kind of thing when you think that somebody else would step forward, but there isn't anybody else. And that's the thing. There's no, there's no good evidence there whatsoever. No good evidence. Yeah, the blood of Jesus dripped on the ark. Well, what, what did that fulfill? Where does it say in the Torah that you can slaughter a lamb 100 feet above the ark of the covenant and somehow the blood will flow through the rocks and the dirt and all the grime and somehow drip on the Ark of the Covenant, and somehow that would be sufficient? It has to be done by a Levite. It has to be done with, with in the proper way. It has to be done exactly in the proper way. And we're going to get to that, Lord willing. So let's continue then with Exodus chapter 25, verse 10. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a, half, and a cubit and a half shall be its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it. You shall make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four, four rings of gold for it. And put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. And you shall make the, the cherubim at the two ends of it uh, of one piece with the mercy seat. Mercy seat here, by the way, it's very uh, in, it's very unusual. Uh, the translation of this mercy seat it actually uh, should be translated as atonement cover uh, instead of mercy seat. Mercy seat is a very 
poor translation of the of the of the Hebrew. Verse 20. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face each other. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. Let me just pause here for a second as well. Notice it's not wrong to make like graven images or like statues or images like cherubim and that kind of thing because God wouldn't say it's wrong to do it and then just say do it. Okay. What's wrong is to actually worship it, is to worship and serve these inanimate objects or any other God for that matter. Verse 21, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and in the ark shall put the testimony that I will give you. Now, just out of curiosity, let's check out some of the other Bible translations on this term mercy seat. So this is Exodus chapter 25, verse 21. Exodus 25, verse 21. And we will go into the other Bible translations uh so yes the king james and the new king james use the term mercy seat i do do think that's a poor translation the uh, the nlt atonement cover the niv simply says cover cover esv says mercy seat same with the csb NASB says atoning cover, literally above or upon, atoning cover. Okay, same with, uh, that's another version of the NASB, mercy seat, mercy seat. Yeah, it seems like a lot of these uh, translations just kind of take from and borrow from the the, uh, King James translation. Verse 22, and there... I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. You shall also make a table or yeah, a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. You shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth hand all around. And you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are, on, that are at its four legs. The rings shall shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be carried with them. And you shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold. You shall set the showbread on the table before me always. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. And the six branches shall come out of its sides, three branches of 
the lampstand out of one side, three branches of the of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on on one branch w- with an ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like almond blo- uh, almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And and so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand. Let's take a look and see what almond blossoms would look like. Yeah, so there's a good one picture right there of an almond blossom. Yeah. Verse 34, on the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be of one hammered piece. Of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. And its wick trimmers and its trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. All right, before we get into Exodus 26, let's see some of your comments again. Byron. Byron. Oops. Yeah, oops. Things. Okay, there we are. Do you think playing the lottery in bingo is sinful? Sure it is. Yeah, it sure is. There's a lot of damage that's done uh, that way. And that's just, that's not being a good steward of, of the money that God give you. Byron says, uh, the Bible says we should follow the laws of the land. So do you think speeding in a car is a sin since it's a law to uh, to not? Okay, let me see. Since it's a law to not speed. You know, every... I'm not going to say that all the laws of all of every nation is is godly and God wants you to obey it because I mean there's a lot of different laws in a lot of different nations around the world that are very ungodly and we see it even increasingly more in the West. I posted a video about that earlier today, a little video about uh, the corruption in the West. You know, in the 1930s, was it wrong? Was it, you know, should should everybody have obeyed the, the government in Germany? All right. Uh, now, when it comes to other laws like this, like speeding and such, like, I mean, these laws are, it's kind of like just common, like common sense. Like, uh, I know there are exceptions. And sometimes there are speed traps. And I mean, you know, you got like a... F- 10 lane highway and the speed limit is like super low. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's uh, some places like that where the speed limit is, is lower than it should be. 
but for the most part, speed limits are, are, you know, it's just common sense. It's just to be safe. And I think that God wants us to be safe too, right? And, and yes, not to be, you know, un, not to use unreasonable speed uh, when you're driving. That's certainly not certainly not something that God would want you to do. God wants you to drive safely and to to behave in, in such a way that's very safe. So, you know, each law has to be, uh, I guess you can take it, you can say, take it uh, on a law by law basis, you know, because uh, I don't know if, if there's any nation that you can point to and say all of their laws are perfect. All of their laws are perfect. So, um, a lot of them are good. Some of them are not so good. You just gotta, you gotta ask for wisdom and, uh, and be safe. Thank you for your question there, Byron. Okay. Exodus chapter 26. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle of ten curtains with ten curtains of fine woven linen and blue, purple, and scarlet thread. With artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. Again, again, we see it's not a sin to have images like this. It is a sin if you worship them or if, if it is like a god, you know what I mean? Let me just say this. There are certain images and certain statutes and statues, images and such that, that, that we should not have. In different religions, some of these images and statues and such are very, there are evil spirits attached to them, so to speak. And so some of these things should be definitely be thrown out. I would not, you know, <laughs> images of, Certain gods, you know, you should not have in your home. Um, things that are used to worship evil entities should not be in your home. But simple artistic, you know, artwork and art designs and certain other images, there's nothing wrong with that. Like right now, you guys are looking at an image of me on the screen. There's nothing wrong with that, I don't believe, right? So... And there's lots of images we have um, around our home all the time. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, as long as they're not images of evil entities, images that have some really bad things attached to them, then it's all good. Verse 2. The length of each curtain... Shall be twenty-eight cubits. That's pretty. That's pretty long. Because remember, a cubit is a foot and a half. A cubit is a foot and a half. So twenty-eight cubits would be what forty-two feet long. That's pretty. That's quite long. And the width of each curtain four cubits. That'd be six feet. Long, six feet long. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another, 
and you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the salvaged uh, salvage of one set, and likewise you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain on of the second set. Fifty loops you shall make in the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set, that the loops may be clasped to one another. And you shall make fifty clasps of gold, and and couple the curtains together with the clasps. So that it may it may be one tabernacle. You shall make you shall also make curtains of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make cur- uh, eleven curtains. The length of each curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the width of each curtain four cubits. And eleven curtains shall have the same shall all have the same measurements. And you shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves, and you shall double over the sixth curtain at the front, the forefront of the tent. You shall make fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set, and fifty loops on the edge of the curtain of the second set. And you shall make fifty bronze clasps. Put the clasps into loops and couple the tents together that it may be one. The remnant that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. And the cubit and a cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side of what remains of the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side. You shall also make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent and a covering of badger skins above that. And for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood standing upright. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board and a cubit and a half shall be the width of each board. Two tenons shall be in each board for the binding for bind to another. Thus you shall make for all the boards of the tabernacle. And you shall make the boards for the tabernacle 20 boards for the south side. And you shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of the boards for, for its two, uh, two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards for, and there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. For the far side of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six boards, and you shall also make two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle. They shall be coupled together at the bottom, and they shall be coupled together at the top by one ring. And it shall be for both of them. They shall be for they shall be for the two corners. So there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each of the boards. And you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the, of the side of the tabernacle uh, for, the, for the far side westward. The middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from from end to end.
You shall overlay the boards with gold, make their rings of gold as holders for the bars and overlay the bars with gold. And you shall raise the tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold uh, upon four sockets of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps. Then you shall bring the, the ark of the testimony in there. Behind the veil, the veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread in fine wove linen made by a weaver. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be gold, and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. Exodus chapter 27. You shall make an altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns and uh, on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. You shall also make its pans to receive its ashes, and its shovels, and its basins, and its forks, and its fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it, network of bronze. And on the network, you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath, that the network may be may be midway up to the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings, and the poles shall be on one of the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards, as it was shown you on the mountain, so so they make it. You shall also make the court of the tabernacle. For the south side there shall be hangings for the court made of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long for one side. And its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets shall be bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be silver. Likewise, along the length of the north side there shall be hangings for one uh, hangings 100 cubits long with its 20 pillars and its 20 bronze or sockets of bronze and the hooks of the pillars and their bands of silver. And along the width of the court on the west side shall be the hangings of 50 cubits with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The width of the court on the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings on one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. 
and on the other side, she hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three, uh, three sockets. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen 20 cubits long. So that would be like 30 feet long. Woven of pure, excuse me, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver. It shall have four pillars and four sockets. All the pillars around them shall have bands of silver. Their hooks shall of silver and their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits and the width 50 throughout and the height five cubits made of fine woven linen and its sockets of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for all its service all its pegs and all its pegs of the court shall be of bronze. And command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for light to cause the lamp to burn continually in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony. Aaron and his sons shall tend it from the evening or from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. And the next chapter is Garments for the Priesthood. Let's go to the comments, see what we got here. Abril says, good evening, shalom, shalom all, shalom Abril, good to see you, welcome. The second first says, the amount of riches they carried out of Egypt had, uh, had, had to have been incredible. Yeah. Can you imagine in how much it weighed as, as well? Like we know that gold is very, very heavy metal, isn't it? The Tower Time says, Shalom, brothers and sisters. Bless y'all. Shalom, the Tower Time. Good to see you. Welcome. 1 John 2.26, you wonder where they got all this wood and badger skins in the desert. The badger is my state's animal. And I've never seen one, never seen one here, much less in the desert. Yeah, can you imagine? Well, apparently, I mean, they must have got all this stuff from, from Egypt. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the desert, where, where, would you find, uh, where would you find all the wood and the, all, the, uh, all that kind of stuff, all the resources? Had to have been in Egypt. Let's go on to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28, garments for the priesthood. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, you shall make, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for, for, uh, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron, Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a, skilled, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban and a sash. Now the ephod here in the um, in the foot footnote it says ornamented vest. 
so they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons. Yet he may minister to me as priest. They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and, and the fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thre thread and fine, wove, fine woven linen art artistically worked. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and so shall uh, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. Then you should take then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone in order of their birth with the work of, a, of an engraver in stone. Like the engravings of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold. And you shall put the stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear the names, their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. You shall also make settings of gold, and you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords, and fasten the braided chains to the settings. You shall make the breastplate of judgment, artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod, you shall make it, of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length, a span shall be its width. And you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardis, sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the, to the twelve tribes. You shall make chains for the breastplate at the end, like braided cords of pure gold. And you shall make two rings of gold for the, bless, for the breastplate and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Then you shall put the two braided chains of gold into the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate, and the other two ends on the two braided chains that uh, you shall fasten to the two settings, and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. You shall make two rings of gold and put on them two ends of the breastplate. Uh, excuse me, and put them on the two ends of the breastplate. On the edge of it, 
which is on the inner the inner side of the ephod, and the two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. They shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod, using a blue cord, so that it's so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod, and so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and Thummim. Um, let me see. The footnote here says the lights and the perfections. It's literally lights and perfections. You know, the, um, the word Urim is Hebrew for lights. Ur, Ur is light. In Hebrew, the im at the end is plural. And they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. And you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. And there shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. And it shall, and it shall have a woven binding all around its opening, like the opening of a coat of mail so that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he may not die. And you shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put on it a blue, a blue cord, that it may be on the turban. And it shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hollow in their in all their holy gifts. And it shall all it shall always be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread, and you shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven work for Aaron's sons. You shall make tunics. You shall make sashes for them. And you shall make hats for them, glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from their waist to their thighs. In the footnote, it says, literally, be, instead of, they shall be, they shall not, uh, instead of, they shall reach from, their, from the waist to the thighs, they shall be from the waist to the thighs. 
They shall be on Aaron and his sons when they come into the tabernacle of me, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place. That they excuse me that they do not incur incur iniquity and die. In the footnote, guilt and die, and they don't incur guilt and die. And it shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. Exodus chapter 29. And this is what you shall do to them to hollow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, and unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and you shall make them of wheat flour, and shall put you shall so put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams and Aaron and his sons. You shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with an intricate, with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for perpetual statute. So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull, with, with its skin and its all, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. You shall, off, you shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and, in, and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall also take the ram, take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of the if its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. See, this is symbolic of the, uh, the hearing. Um, the work, putting it on the right thumb, and the walk, putting it on the big toe of the right foot. Verse 21. 
And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and, and on his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hollowed and his sons and his sons garments with him. Also, you shall take of the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord, and you shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord. It shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration, you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering, which is waved, and the thigh of the heave, which is raised, of that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. It shall, it shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever, for it is a heave offering. And it shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings. That is, their heave offering to the Lord. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him, to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. That the son, or that son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. And you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things which, with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or of the bread remains until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them, and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Notice here. Let me just stop here for a second. Notice it talks about making atonement for the altar. Okay? In, in Hebrews chapter 9, talking about without blood, there is no atonement or there's no, yeah, there's no uh, remission. I mean, let's just go over to Hebrews chapter 9, because this is what Hebrews chapter 9 is talking about. It's talking about making atonement for the things of the altar. So let's just go over here to Hebrews chapter 9. Okay, going down here. Verse 21. 
This is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 21. In the same way, he sprinkled the blood, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or there is no atonement. Uh, this particular verse by many Christians is really used, they take it to mean that it's, uh, uh, you know, the blood that cleanses everybody, but that's not what it's really saying. It's talking about, in the context, it's talking about cleansing everything, everything of the tabernacle, all of its articles, all of its, um, all of the furnishings of the tabernacle. And that's what we're reading about here. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it. So notice, it's not just people that need the atonement. It's things as well, especially in this case, things of the tabernacle. Now, the question would be, why would, why would a thing need atonement? Why? Could it be that some of these articles, some of this, some of this, some of these materials that they got out of Egypt was not very holy? Just a question. Back to Exodus chapter 29, verse 37. Seven days you shall make. Okay, let me just back up here a little bit. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Can you imagine talking to somebody about sanctifying something, not somebody, like sanctification, like a, like like as if there's some kind of a physical thing, material thing that you need to sanctify? Verse 37, seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Yeah, after seven days of this. Wow. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Verse 38, now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With one lamb you shall, uh, with excuse me, with the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer it at twilight. You shall offer it with the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma and offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of, of meeting before the Lord, where I meet with you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. Again, notice, we don't have just people being consecrated here, but also the, the whole tabernacle and the altar. Verse 45, I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. Exodus chapter 30. You shall make an altar to burn an incense on. 
You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, a cubit its width. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of pure gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both both its sides. You shall place on them its two sides. And they, uh, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. Before I go any further here, remember incense is a symbol of prayer. Incense represents prayer. So it's like Aaron every morning prays with sweet prayer to the Lord, as it were. Verse 8, And when Aaron lights, lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it. a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it or a burnt offering or grain offering. You shall, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year, he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. This is a very interesting thing here, the ransom money. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, excuse me, when you number them, that their that there may be no plague among them when you number them. Now, let me just stop here for a, for, for a minute here. Remember how David numbered, uh, did a census, uh, counted it, and he shouldn't have, and a plague broke out. See, that was a fulfillment of this particular uh, warning here, that they are to, that they are to, Give a ransom before they number. This is Exodus chapter 30, verse 13. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Okay, this is a very, very intriguing thing. This is something you don't hear in Christian circles. You don't hear this. Your pastor is not going to tell you this more than likely. 
because in Christian circles, the only thing that gives you atonement is blood. It's the blood that gives atonement, period. That's, that's, that's how the modern Christian narrative goes. But here is a very interesting concept. Exodus chapter 30 makes it very clear that giving this money, this half shekel, actually made atonement for the people. That's why this section is called the ransom, the ransom money, right? So the money itself made atonement. Now we're gonna let me let me just stop here for a second because you guys are gonna you guys it's just gonna be very awesome. Because after we, we read after I read these next few sentences, we're gonna go over to Acts chapter 10, and we're gonna see how this very, very concept is also in effect in the New Testament age, so to speak, New Testament age, in the New Testament church, in Acts chapter 10. I'll show you. This, pay close attention here, because this is very interesting. So giving the money, remember the half shekel was to go for the, the, the priests and uh, you know, and that is to be dispersed to like the widows and the poor and all that kind of stuff. It's basically giving alms. That's what it is. Giving to the poor. That's what it is, basically. But pay attention, because this is in effect in the book of Acts, New Testament church. I'm going to show you in just a moment here. Okay, let me just back up here a second. The rich shall not give more. The poor shall not give less than half a second. So they're given, they're given money. They're given alms, basically. And when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, so that makes atonement. So that really, that clears the way. That clears the, that clears the, the air, so to speak, before the Lord. That makes you clean. And makes atonement for yourself. Verse 16. And you shall take the atonement money, atonement money of the children of Israel, and you shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial. Here we are, right here. That it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Again, it says. So very, very important. I'm going, to, I'm going to take you right on over to Acts chapter 10 here in just a second. But very, very important you understand this. Okay? This, here, this is a Torah concept. You're given money, and doing so makes atonement for yourself. Sorry, Martin Luther, but this is what it says. And, and by the way, it says it in, book, in Acts chapter 10 as well. It, it, it implies that this is what's going on. Verse 16, you shall take an atonement money of the children of Israel and you shall, you shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meaning and it shall be a memorial. Memorial. Key that up in your mind right there. A memorial before the Lord. Before the Lord. To make atonement for yourselves. Okay, so... Let's go on over. I like this Bible hub. It's a little bit easier to read, especially online there. We'll go over to um, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Let's go to, well, just for a second. Let's just go to this one here. 
Okay, so this is the this is the, this is right here. Um, so Acts chapter ten verse one, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in which in in what was called the Italian regiment. Now remember, this is not a Jew. This is a Gentile. For those of you who say, "Oh, the Torah is only for the Jews," pay attention. Pay attention, because what we just read in Acts in Exodus chapter thirty, verses sixteen, um, excuse me, fifteen and sixteen, you'll see this played out right here. This is a Gentile. Verse two, he and all his house, he and all his household were devout and God fearing. Good Gentiles. He gave generously to the people. There's the uh, there's the there's the money right there. He gave generously to the people and prayed to to God regularly. So this acted as a, a atonement money. Okay, he gave generously, just as it talks about in Exodus chapter thirty, verses fifteen and sixteen. He gave generously to the people and prayed to God regularly. Verse three. One day at about the ninth hour, he had a clear vision, clear vision of an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers, incense, your prayers and gifts to the poor, the atonement money, have ascended as a memorial, memorial offering, there's the atonement, before God. It's right there. Right there. So important to see this, okay? Because in this here, a Gentile is reaping the benefits of Exodus chapter 30, verses 15 and 16 here, where the where the atonement money is given, and it comes up as a memorial before the Lord to make atonement, the offering. Right? When you give an offering to the Lord, that's the money, right? So there it is right there. It's right there. It another piece of this is some this is the you know 1257th time a piece of evidence that we have in the New Testament that the Torah is still is still in effect and to be observed even among the Gentiles because it is it is applicable and in effect, it is a universal law, not just for the Jews. It still works. The Word of God still works, people. Very, very, very important to understand that. Moving on with Exodus chapter 30, verse 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall make an, a, um, a laver of bronze. You shall also make a laver of bronze, bronze with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle and the altar. You shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to, uh, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. You shall, or excuse me, so they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. It shall be a statute forever to them, to him and 
his descendants throughout their generations. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also, take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, uh, 500 shekels of cassia, cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an an, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil that you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony. The table and all its utensils, the lampstand and, and its utensils, and the altar of in, incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, and that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall be poured, up, it shall be poured on man's flesh. Excuse me, it shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other uh, any any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. And the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices. Stakte and Annika and Galbanum and pure frankincense with, with these sweet spices. There shall be equal amounts of each. Now, with all of these, let me just let me just interject here. With all of these sweet smelling, beautiful smelling perfumes and incenses and all this stuff, I just think that heaven is going to be a beautifully smelling place. I think it's I think you're gonna smell all of these fragrances in heaven. I just think you are. Verse 35. You shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall and you shall beat some of it very fine, and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you. And it shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he he shall be cut off from his people. Yes. All right, and the next section is more of the building of the tabernacle. Let's get into some of the comments. Now, I'm going to pick up the rest tomorrow. So if you have any more questions or comments, or if you have any prayer requests, please feel free to put them in now.
The Tower Times says they had invented basketball shorts, but they were linen. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's it. Mimi says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Good to see you. Patricia says, meant give, give seed. All right. Jordan says, Shalom all. I was in class, hence just now getting here. Oh, sorry about that, Jordan. We're just actually just wrapping up here. So, yeah, um, we will tomorrow get into the Artesians. Building of the Tabernacle and the Sabbath law. We'll talk about that and, and some awesome other good things. Byron says, please pray for my mother for her health to improve. She's fighting cancer. Thank you. Let's do that right now, everyone. Everyone, let's join together in prayer for Byron's mother. Father, we thank you. Father, we come before you. And Father, we worship you. Holy is your name. You are the great and awesome God. You who, you know, for some reason I feel my finger getting numb here again, I, just as I pray. It's like this finger right here just gets numb. Father, we ask you, Father, for mercy. Father, we ask you for mercy. Father, as it says in the book of Daniel, you are the great and awesome God. You who keep your covenant of love with those who love you and with those who follow your commands. You know, we know that it doesn't say you keep your covenant of love with everybody. It says you keep your covenant of love with those who love you and those who follow your commands. Father, Father, we love you. And Father, we want to do everything we possibly can to follow your commands up as Father. So Father, we come before you and we ask you for mercy for Byron's mother. Father, cause this, cause, cause there to be a, a turn in her, and let her health turn for the better. That there be a turnaround that she would be getting better. And the cancer completely dies, disappears in the name of Yeshua of Nazareth. Let it happen, Father. Let it happen. Let your mercy be upon her. Pour out your strength and your power. Let the power of the Lord be present to heal there, to heal Byron's mother in the name of Yeshua of Nazareth right now. Amen and amen. Amen. Everyone said amen. Abril says, what was the anointing oil made of? Sorry, I got someone on, uh, on the door just when you were reading that part. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the anointing oil was made of, let's just go back here. Um, 
It says 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, sweet smelling cinnamon. Excuse me there. Sweet smelling cane, cassia, 500 shekels of cassia, and olive oil. Olive oil. Very, very. I would suppose it really does, it would really smell very, very uh, awesome, uh, holy for sure. Jordan says, I'll be sure to rewatch. Okay, Jordan. Awesome, brother. Good to see you. Abro says, great reading today. Christopher, thank you very much, Abro. Good to see you as always. And I'll check out that link as well, One John. I, let me just have to open that up in a different tab. I'll have to check, have to check that out in my after I'm done here. There is another very interesting thing, too. I, this might be what you're referring to, John. 1 John 2.26, I should say. Um, but yeah, anyway, yeah, we'll check that out. Caballero says, thank you, Christopher, for today's Bible reading. Thank you very much, Caballero, for your, uh, for your questions, your comments, and your fellowship. Abriel says, amen, amen. And Brenda says, in Yeshua's name, heal Byron's mom, amen, yes, amen. In Yeshua's name we pray, yes. Yeah, it just smell really sweet and wondrous, that's for sure. Amen. Oh, okay, so, all right, guys, that's it uh, tonight, um, for tonight. And 1 John 2.26 says, thank you as always, Christopher. Yes, so tomorrow, same time, same place. Uh, 7 p.m. Eastern. Now, sometime in the next, uh, give or take, um, give or take a couple weeks, just to give you guys a heads up. Okay, sometime in the next, uh, it, give or take, a couple weeks. Okay, um, I will be. I will at least one night, maybe two nights. I won't be do. I won't be doing lives. I. I Probably will do a live, but it'll be a replay, Lord willing. But just as a heads up, uh, say in another couple of weeks from now, give or take, there might be one or two days I, I'm I'm not going to be live. So there's a chance that I'm, I'm just going to post a replay, okay? But uh, just for you guys' uh, information. All right, guys. As always, you guys are awesome. Lord bless you. Uh, yeah, one John two and six says thank you. Patricia says thanks for your great teaching. Amen, Chris. Thank you very much, Patricia. I appreciate you guys. Appreciate all you guys. Okay, so I'll see you guys tomorrow night again, same time, same place, seven p.m. tomorrow night, and we'll pick up where we left off. We'll get into some other very interesting discussions. I'm, I'm sure. Jeff says sweet shalom. Awesome. Okay, guys, blessings multiplied to you and shalom, peace multiplied to you as well. As always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen, amen. See you tomorrow.